Welcome to The Power of Stories, a podcast by women, about women, and for women. Their voices and their stories. I am Sharon Catherine D'Agostino, a passionate advocate for the empowerment of women and girls everywhere and the founder of SayItForward.org. And I'm Yodit Kifle-Smith, a creative dedicated to making sure the voices and stories of women are heard. I have the privilege of working with Sharon on SayItForward.org to do just that. In this podcast, you will meet courageous women from around the world whose unique path to empowerment will leave you encouraged and inspired. We want to welcome Dr. Samantha Brown-Parks joining us from Atlanta on today's episode. Dr. Samantha is an MD, a family medicine physician who started her career as a doctor in the Army. Dr. Samantha, welcome. Thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you so much for having me, Yoda and Sharon. (laughs) We have so looked forward to talking with you. You started medical school at a very young age. You graduated from medical school young, and then you were a doctor in the army. What was that like for you? So I probably need to back that story up just a little bit. I grew up in a very rural town with almost no medical care access. I also had a fairly disadvantaged background. I had a father who was in prison. I was essentially raised by a single mom in a town that is barely a dot on a map. Um, Everyone knows everyone's business. There is an understanding that women get married usually right out of high school and have children. There was not as much professional education going on. And it was a very agriculturally based community. I realized fairly early when I watched my grandparents kind of decline due to the lack of medical care that, number one, there was big room for improvement. Number two, that I didn't really fit that picture. I had already started elementary school a year younger than everyone because my parents decided, hey, you can read you're going straight to school and you're skipping first grade. So I had already started a little bit um, biologically younger than the rest. So when high school came about and I realized this is my goal. And in those early days, we're very, very goal oriented with lists and plans and nothing's going to break you from your plan. So I studied hard. I never got a B. I studied every single day that I could. I talked my way into more advanced classes in high school than I was supposed to be able to do. I took summer classes just so I could be ahead and take prerequisites for more classes. So when it got to my junior year and I was taking probably four or five AP classes in a public high school, I realized I was spending a lot more time working on my academics than I would if I was already in college. So I left. <laughs> I just <laughs> I left <laughs> and I went straight to college. I did the same thing in college, just being very goal oriented. And there were some deviations along the way. I thought for a while I was not going to do medicine. I was going to do urban planning um, and build my own city because I really liked the sense of community and I thought that we could do better. I came to my senses and <laughs> realized medicine was probably where I needed to be. I finished in three years and got accepted to medical school at 19. And that's how 
the early aspect came about. I thought this was a great accomplishment and was very proud of myself. And, you know, I'm going to be a young and at 23, I graduated from medical school and found myself in the military. And that's when it first hit me that maybe being the youngest and the supposedly brightest was not as big an asset as I had assumed. <laughs> There's something to be said for experience and life experience. Mm -hmm. So when I got to the army and I was a full-fledged physician, there was a lot of lack of respect. I was mm. a long, blonde-haired, cute 23-year-old with big eyes and a big heart, but I was missing some parts of life. It was a learning experience. So I think the message from that is that we can start out with goals, very specific goals, very early on and have our checklist of ways that we're going to get to our goal. But sometimes we get to our goal and realize, hey, I may have missed something along the way. Mm. For me, the beauty of doing everything early in life is it afforded me a lot of time to take detours. And I've taken a lot of detours along the way. Many women and of various ages find themselves in professions that are predominantly male. And what advice do you have for them? So being in a male-dominated field, both in medicine, but also in the military, puts you in an interesting position. Your original instinctive gut feeling is, I'm going to prove myself and nobody's going to tell me I'm wrong. That doesn't go over so well, especially when you were packaged as I was as a young person who had no military experience. No one in my family didn't know what I was doing. So I was constantly reading regulations just on how I was supposed to present myself physically, not to mention how I'm supposed to present myself professionally. There's an initial backlash of, hey, I'm supposed to be here. I should be here just as much as you. Um, and I think that evolves over time to earning mutual respect. So you push back just enough to get the male counterpart to notice you, but you don't push so hard that you cast them off because they're human too. And they are reacting to something that's new in their environment. In this case, just being a woman in medicine mm. in front of them. I think so often we fight, I don't want to say too hard, but too hard in the wrong direction. There needs to be a sense of proving ourselves with skills and training, but also backing up and listening and listening to everyone because so often we aren't listened to. And that's how we got in this position to begin with. So by cutting others off, by doing exactly what we've accused them of doing, doesn't make mm. our position more advanced. It just sets us back more. Through that experience, what did you learn about yourself? I think, especially at that stage of life, we all are under this misconception that everyone can see everything about us. But every time you meet someone new, that's it's the first impression game. What you show people on a daily basis is what they'll see. And you really need to compose yourself and present yourself as you want to be seen. 
And so you can't fly off the handle and be fighting with the first person that really accosted you when there's other people watching, because then their impression is that's all you are. So you have to be a little guarded in how much of your inner self from that aspect that they see. And I don't mean not to be an authentic person Mm -hmm. and not Mm -hmm. to be true to yourself because the content should always be authentic. People, whether we like it or not, are always judging us. And for some of us, that judgment can be a positive motivator. And sometimes it's a negative motivator. And we need to know ourselves enough and realize what makes us better to move forward with Mm -hmm. that. What was life like? Because you eventually left the army. And so what was that journey for you like? When it became evident that... I should not do my original residency that was planned, which was radiology in the military because it would tack on so many years to my payback time. I decided to be a general medical officer, paid back my time and got out because my husband was not military and he is a delightful man and was doing internal medicine at the time. And really it was unfair to him to lock him into being a military spouse that wasn't my goal in life. I was not going to be a lifer. It was his turn. And I decided, okay, I've done my time. You followed me. Now I can follow you. And I said, you know what? I'm not going to jump right back into medicine. I'm going to do consulting. But in order to consult, I needed to get an additional degree. So I went back to school, got my master's of public health, thinking that I was going to be this great medical consultant after my time in the military. And sure enough, it sucked me back into clinical medicine again. In my classes, there were family medicine docs, and they just happened to have an opening for me to start right away and finish a residency doing essentially what I had been doing as a general general medical officer in the military. And I thought, okay, this is a higher power pushing me back to actually see patients, which is what I'd like to do most. But again, it's those detours that that teach you the way. So along the way, I learned a lot about epidemiology and uh, public health and (laughs) how to run a practice and all the other things that come along with getting my master's in public health. And as I stayed with the university as a resident, then I stayed on as faculty. I did a faculty development fellowship and learned how to become a better teacher not only do I like to teach patients because that was really my push. I want people to understand what's happening to them medically. I think other med students could do a better job of that. And so I, I did not switch gears, but I, I kind of veered my course a little bit and switched into doing true academics, like in the medical school, in the lecture hall, teaching, you know, day one medical students that, have never really spoken to a patient. And there's something so gratifying and so satisfying about teaching other people how to relate the way that you've always wanted to relate to patients. So we hear in you a courageous and determined woman. Fear is something that stops many women and men from doing things that they would like to do. Did you have an experience of facing down fear and doing something even though you were afraid? I think fear is an ongoing undercurrent of 
everything that I have done. The fear of judgment growing up in such a small town and being someone who doesn't fit in and doesn't have a place where they belong may have been the biggest motivator to be what you call courageous and I call just dogged persistence. And I would like to say that it has definitely lessened over time, but it's still there. And for me, it's a motivator because you never want to go back to being the eight-year-old who's scared of being embarrassed or scared of being without or scared of not belonging or not being loved because you've done something wrong. And I think even as a 50-year-old woman, that still Mm -hmm. is a motivator for me. And there have definitely been points in my life where I've realized that the fear crossed that line of motivation and became a detractor and was turning me into things Mm. that I didn't want to be. And luckily, later in life, I've been able to, with the help of my family and my support groups, um, recognize that and kind of nip it in the bud. And you have to get over the imposter syndrome and realize, Mm. okay, the things I'm scared of and the fears that I've had are, they're not unfounded but they're irrelevant at this point in my life. And realizing who's irrelevant and what they threaten you with is irrelevant. It's liberating mm. to be able to recognize that and walk away. It's like turning the lights on in a scary movie. You know, all of a sudden you see <laughs> all the props and you see everything that's there. And you're like, oh, well, this is ridiculous. That's fake blood. That chainsaw doesn't even have gas. Um, <laughs> you, you learn how to see things through a different light with experience. Mm-hmm. And I think that's helped a lot with fear. That's powerful. And I, I, I love what you said about fear either being a motivator or a detractor. And I think that, you know, as I'm reflecting in my own journey of where I've seen both. Um, so thank you. You, um, Your path has taken you also to be um, an on-air medical expert for a variety of court shows. I would love to understand like where that <laughs> came into your story. That's awesome. In 2014, as I was at the top of my academic career, a young clinic director, he was straight out of his um, MBA, decided he was going to revamp our clinic, a clinic that I had worked at for over a decade and had a strong academic practice and a strong teaching practice. And I had kind of carved out what I thought would be the perfect life. I was teaching 75%. I was seeing patients 25%. And he decided that didn't work for his bottom line and decided to take me aside and tell me that I needed to come to clinic an hour earlier every day. I said, I have a two-year-old and a six-year-old. That's not really going to happen. So no, he's like, oh, I completely understand Dr. Brown Parks. I understand. I have two dogs and I put them in cages and I come to work. And I wow. did not compose myself well. And <laughs> I, I resigned, like immediately resigned from the clinical aspect at my dream job, because there comes a point where people push you so far that it doesn't matter your goals or your dreams. You don't need to be abused. I was called a traitor and a lever. And I was like, oh my goodness, this is not at all what happened. But fine, this is again 
a higher power telling me I need to move on. And this might not be the dream job that I thought it was. Well, as part of that, I was not allowed to practice within a 50 mile radius of my job for two years. <laughs> oh, so my I thought, goodness. oh my goodness, what am I going to do? And I really, really like talking. I talk to patients <laughs> all the time and I can't talk to my patients. And this was well before telemedicine and that was not an option. I actually went on some brand new platforms on the internet just to give overseas information and um, guidance to other countries about what to do medically so that I was protected legally on giving free medical advice. And someone sent me a link to a movie that was being filmed and they needed a physician um, or someone who knew the medical field and to be a background player. I was like, well, I can't work. So sure, I'll work for $7 an hour. It was great. I mean, it was long hours. It was like being an intern again, you know, working for no money you know, 20 out of 24 hours a day, but it was fascinating and seeing the artistic sides of life that you don't get to see in the science world were really eye-opening. And so that turned into more background work. And then it turned into learning and meeting people on set that needed medical advice, not personal medical advice, but for authenticity of the TV show or the movie or the script. Um, and I was like, hmm, this isn't actually a profession, but it should be. So I turned it into my own job and started a consulting business for TV medicine, media related avenues that needed to be medically authentic and being in family medicine. It put me in a good position for that. Well, this is a question that we love to ask all of our guests. And so we want to ask you, you know, how can we all encourage other women and girls to confidently use their voice and claim their power? So I think this goes back to your presentation and considering everything to be a first impression and kind of molding others' views of you, how you want them to be. And part of that is being a role model at all times, not just when the camera's on, not just when you're giving a lecture, but knowing that you are always being watched by someone that you could help. And acting responsibly with that information goes farther than giving any bit of pearls of wisdom or one-liners, but having them actually watch you in action doing what's so important to you can be inspirational mm -hmm. to them. Dr. Sam, it has been a true joy just getting to hear your story. So thank you so much for making the time to be here with us and, and sharing your story. And to our listeners, as always, we thank you for making the time to listen to this episode of the Power of Stories podcast. Thank you so much for having me. It's been a pleasure. It's been great talking with you, Dr. Sam. And you've said so many things that have inspired me and I especially Love your reminder that we have the opportunity to be role models as we do things we love to do. And that's a, that's a great thing for us mm -hmm. all to remember. I also send out big thanks to Lisa DeJavine, who is the editor and co-producer of the Power of Stories podcast. And always, always many thanks to Yodit, who is a joy to work with and a role model for me. 
And to our listeners, we invite you to visit sayitforward.org, a place where you are welcome to share one or more stories about your unique path to empowerment. Or you can read the stories of other women and girls. This is Sharon Catherine D'Agostino and Yodit Kifle-Smith signing off for now and hoping you'll join us for our next episode of the Power of Stories podcast. If you enjoyed this podcast, we do hope you'll give us a review and recommend the Power of Stories to a friend. And lastly, we want to remind you of the power of your story.